session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be there for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let's get to the books of the week. The book of the week for this week is Space Between Us by Jamal Aflatuni. Space Between Us by Jamal Aflatuni. And I'm very pleased to announce that on next Monday's show, I'll be joined by the author to discuss his book and interview him. So tune in next Monday for an interview with author Jamal Aflatuni and a discussion on his book, Space Between Us. Looking forward to reading that and discussing it with him next week. Book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight is Free Play by Stephen Nakmanovich. Free Play, Improvisation in Life and Art. And this was, uh, as many books have been, recommended to me my, by my brother Parham, and I'm, I'm really glad he did recommend it to me. Uh, as it says in the, the subtitle, Improvisation in Life and Art. And so you might be thinking, well, if I'm not an artist, or a musician, painter, anything like that, well, would I benefit from a book like this? But as the subtitle says, In Life and Art, and I think that this book is actually very meaningful for anyone to read. He's actually written a newer book, I forgot what it's called, The Power of Is or Something of Is, which might be on a similar theme. Uh, but this author, Stephen Nakmanovich, also is a improvisational violinist, and he does he teaches and does lots of also in- other interesting things. But in this book, he talks about the creative process and really how we can tap into it, cultivate it within ourselves, not just in art, but in life in general. And as he talks about in the beginning of the book, life itself can be seen as an improvisation in that we don't have a script and we have to respond to each moment or we can choose to respond or choose how we respond in each moment. But it's not that it is predetermined in that way. And so he talks about one of the simplest forms we can think of of improvisation is a conversation. Each time you speak with someone, you don't have a, a, a um, script of what you're going to say, they're going to say. You have to respond to what they're saying, and there is this back and forth. And actually, the more we allow for that aliveness to be there in the conversation, the more enjoyable and meaningful it tends to be. It's actually when we try to control it or think we have to control where it goes that it won't go as well. So this is a book that I think anyone can benefit anyone can benefit from in understanding how to live their life more fully and expressing themselves more. Something I, I talked about last week as well, uh, this notion of expressing ourselves um, and what that even means, what's my true self. And I think our true self is a complicated thing to describe because it does change. It's not one true self, or you can say in any moment, there is a true voice within us that can speak out or we can speak from, that might be a better way of saying it. 
and we have to actually allow for that source to come out, meaning that we have to get rid of the blocks or the blockages that get there. And he does discuss those things as well in the book of tapping into this this voice. So to begin with, uh, you know, intuition is a theme that runs throughout the book. Something that at times people assign a mystical quality to it, similar to the mystical quality related to intuition, specifically of a muse. Even throughout history, it's been at times represented by these other figures, as he says, sometimes a woman, sometimes a man, sometimes a child, depending on the culture and the time, that is essentially giving people ideas or the inspiration for great works of art. And people at times will actually express that they were hit with something like a flash of of, uh, of inspiration or it came to them all at once. And he shares of that, if people sometimes get these moments of intuition or these moments of inspiration, and it's almost like their hand can't write fast enough what is coming to them, whether it's music or art or literature, they are trying to write out what is coming to them. And so it almost seems like it's coming from another world or another person or outside of themselves. And I can understand this experience in my estimation is that we are having this feeling or something is coming up that we're trying to put into some kind of either words or music, painting, whatever it might be. But it's because it's something so vast, as can be the case when we're talking about something like a feeling or a type of experience, that it can be hard to put it all into words or translate it to some kind of art or expression. And I also think it's not that it's coming from somewhere else, but it's coming from within us. And although this book was written, I think, 30 years ago, there were some insights I felt that uh, the author had, Stephen Nekmanovich, that have proven to be more true or supported with things like neuroscience and and psychology. But the unconscious, as he talks about, there's much more there than what is conscious. So at times we might experience this intuition. One, it seems like it's coming from somewhere else because we are not consciously aware of it and of it becoming together. Unlike when, let's say, you think through a problem where you're really thinking each step through at moments of intuition and inspiration, we are not necessarily consciously putting these things together, but unconsciously things are being connected and connections are made and something comes out that we ourselves have never consciously thought of. And it could seem like it's coming from another place, but I truly believe it comes within us, but we have to be able to tap into that source and to allow for the freedom of these things to be expressed, to be created and then to be expressed. This relates to actually dreaming. So when we dream, especially when we have the more intense dreams that come up in REM sleep, one of the things that's happening is that our frontal lobe what we might think of one of the seats of rational thought or judgment, that is asleep, uh, I guess pun intended, where that's not really active, that part of our brain. So what is happening is that the emotional parts and the other aspects of the brain can kind of play with one another and and reconnect different ideas or different um, themes and come up with something totally new. And so you might say, you know, when you 
think about your dream or you describe your dream to someone, it's kind of funny because there could seem to be no logic to it or all of a sudden the scene changes without explanation or someone changes without uh, a real explanation. It all makes sense to us in the dream, but when we try to describe it, it seems to be lacking of what we tend to think of a, as a normal logic or normal type of everyday logic that we tend to think of. But it's actually because the judging part or that rational part is offline that it actually allows for the expression of these ideas that we normally would not either allow to come together or would not come together. And so many times inspiration does come in dreams, even in scientific realms, but also artistic realms, but also when people are doing things that they're not so consciously aware of, when they are Um, in bed or in the shower or taking a bath or going for a walk and not really thinking about the problem, it does appear that the unconscious is still working on it, so to speak, and something might be revealed. So this flash of inspiration can seem very strange because it's not that I was consciously thinking of a solution or consciously thinking about this problem or consciously thinking of creating something, but all of a sudden something comes to me. And so it could seem like there must have been a muse that inspired me or this came from another world. Sometimes even people will say it's coming from somewhere else and I have to tap into it. I think it's coming from within us and there's much more within all of us. And in a way, uh, you know, another way of looking at the world is that we're all part of an interconnected universe. So really the whole universe in that sense resides within us too, but it is within us, I believe, that we can uh, tap into these things and experience these things. So um, I I thought it was interesting his explorations of looking at things like uh, intuition and looking at finding our original or true voice. And here's at the end of one of the early chapters in the introduction, he says this, the creative process is a spiritual path. This adventure is about us, about the deep deep self, the composer in all of us, about originality, meaning not that which is all new, but that which is fully and originally ourselves. And I thought that was an interesting point he later on came back to and explained more deeply. This sense of when you are being your true self or having an original voice. So... Each human being is essentially a unique being, and even each human being moment to moment is unique even to themselves. Now, there are going to be some stable aspects to them too, but we do change and evolve with time. But nonetheless, we're all original in that sense, and we have an original voice. But as he points out, original doesn't mean just try to be different. Sometimes we think that because The problem is a lot of people try to sound like everyone else. And by sound, I don't just mean necessarily, let's say, singing or speaking, but in whatever it is that we're doing, we think that, well, if I want to be original, I have to make sure I'm just being different. So let me just do something totally new. And we have to always remember that new does not mean progress. Something novel does not mean that it's better than what has come before. It just means it is different. And so when we are finding our original voice, It's less about looking outside and making sure what we say is different. It's actually more about looking inside and making sure what we say is the same as what is inside of us. And so more than likely, it will sound similar to others and have elements of other individuals, other schools of thinking or schools of 
art, if you're doing whatever art that might be, music, painting, uh, whatever it is, dance, it's going to have some similar themes from them, but it will somehow express something unique to yourself. And so we have to try to tap into that uniqueness and going back to this uh, notion of our rational self or parts of our judgment being offline, we have to allow for that part of us to come out without worry of self-consciousness of how we're going to be judged or looked at, but allowing that true voice to come out, which does take courage. It's not easy to uh, allow for that to be there, but that is when we create the most beautiful, whatever it might be from art to uh, music, but also relationships. When we allow our true voice to come out, when we communicate, not just with our words, but in our actions, our behaviors with one another, this is when we actually allow the most intimate connections to be made. I'm not saying something to you because it's what I'm supposed to say, or I think I'm supposed to say, or I've heard this phrase used before, and this seems like the right time to use this phrase. I'm saying something to you because that's what I'm truly feeling within myself. And I'm trying to give you that as unfiltered as possible. And I think that's quite beautiful. Again, it's not just about art. It's really about life. This is how we create the best relationships and have the best experience for ourselves when we relate with the world in a comfortable and open way, not in a way where I have already determining what I'm going to do before I go into it. So a few notions come up here. I was saying we have to let go of our self-consciousness and that fear of being judged by ourselves and by others. But related to that, there is a sense of relinquishing control. And there's a whole chapter called Surrender in the book. Because really, if we want to express that which is within us, we have to let go. Let go of what's going to come out to some degree, allowing what's there to be expressed, letting go of controlling the situation and how it's going to happen, and also letting go of how others are going to judge us. What are they going to think of me and how is that going to affect how they treat me? This is why it is courageous for us to tap into that which is truly me, that real original voice, and allow for it to be expressed. Now we're getting uh, to a commercial break, but I do want to continue discussing this book um, because there are so many themes that I found really interesting and powerful, and I hope you will read it. Again, it's Free Play by Stephen Nakmanovich, Free Play, Improvisation in Life and Art. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Continuing the discussion on the book Free Play by Stephen Nakmanovich. A wonderful book, I think, for any of us to tap into our own creativity, not just in the sense of art, but in how we live our lives. And there was a whole chapter called The Power of Mistakes, which I uh, really like just that that's a theme to explore. And he starts the chapter by talking about how a pearl is made which is essentially where a, a grit, which I think is like a piece of sand, essentially, or grain of sand, gets into the oyster shell. And then it's the what the um, oyster does in response to that, secreting more of what is a like a thin, thick, smooth mucus uh, that hardens around this um, grit and that turns into the pearl. And so without that grain of sand or without that grit that gets into the oyster, which can seem like a mistake or something bad, 
we wouldn't have the creation of the pearl. And so similarly, in our creativity or in our lives in general, we have to recognize there's a power in mistakes or he has a quote here from Miles Davis, do not fear mistakes, there are none. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to look at of how we approach life. Because another reason we, uh, or really it falls into the umbrella of what I was talking about before of why we might not allow ourselves to express ourselves in an original way or be comfortable to express ourselves is a fear of mistakes and related to that failure and then being judged for those things that we might feel like, well, it's better for me to um, play it safe, that I should just uh, do what feels right in uh, the moment to other people, what is already accepted, what's tried and true, and I'm afraid to make a mistake to try something new. But really, we only learn through making mistakes or trying something that we are not sure how it's going to work out. And if you think of any new skill or ability you took on at the beginning, you had to make many, many mistakes. And we might think of these mistakes as, oh, that's part of the learning processes and you're going to make mistakes, but that's okay. But it's actually integral. So it's not that we learn despite our mistakes. We actually learn because of our mistakes. That's actually what helps you grow. Even when you're studying for an exam, they find that when you get a question wrong, when you're practicing and studying, you're actually more likely to remember that question than the ones that you get right. Because in getting it wrong, it creates a sense of surprise or even some feeling about it. You look at it more carefully, you're more likely to remember that than let's say another one. If you guessed it right and you got it right and didn't think to check it twice, you're actually better off making that mistake. So I thought it was really wonderful that he had a whole chapter on that called The Power of Mistakes. I think I noticed that in myself sometimes is fear of making mistakes or getting things wrong and how I think it does get in the way of expressions of all types. I also thought, you know, when we think of art, we feel that it's things like music, painting, uh, dancing, singing, those kinds of things. But we often don't consider what else it can be. And I actually think therapy, and he mentioned therapy in different ways in the book several times, but I think of therapy as an art. And so I myself, as a therapist, have experienced this process of, of learning the art of therapy. And I think it's similar to how many other types of arts are learned and then expressed by individuals. And it reminds me of this quote by Carl Jung, where he says, Learn your theories as well as you can, but put them aside when you touch the miracle of the living soul. Not theories, but your own creative individuality alone must decide. So it starts with learn your theories as well as you can, but put them aside. So I think that's a very interesting dynamic of learning the theories the best you can. And I remember as a student, you're first trying to understand, okay, you know, what, what, what is therapy? What, how does it work? How does it help people? And then you try to learn all these techniques, things you can say, okay, you reflect, you do mirroring, you ask questions in this way. And when I first was doing therapy, I hope I was helping individuals when I was in graduate school. I think I've definitely improved. But nonetheless, at the beginning, it is much more mechanical or it felt that way. I would have the client say something and then I would ask what I thought was the right thing to ask next. I would reflect, okay, what's the appropriate thing to ask? This would be time for a reflection. Should I ask about this? What is the right thing? And so it was very much in my head. 
uh, think about what's the right thing using just what seemed like judgment or seemed like information that I had learned. But over time, I have learned, and I think many therapists I've talked to experience this as well, that you start to trust your own voice more and more. So, of course, as, as Jung says there, you've learned the theories and the techniques, so you understand some things and it gives you a guiding post or give you some values to operate from. But then within that, you respond using your inner voice, not just what is something you are supposed to say. And I've seen that by trusting my intuition in this sense, trusting my inner voice and and relating to the other soul, relating to this other individual, um, to put aside just the technique. So I don't think, well, this is a time for exactly this thing. When you express yourself more with that intuition of what your voice within you is telling you, what's resonating within yourself to express, I have found that I'm able to connect much more deeply with my clients, but it took learning the techniques, but then slowly learning to also trust my voice and to let go of the techniques that I could trust what was coming from within me. And with that, able to go to a certain depth of emotional intimacy that I was not able to go to using just the techniques. Now here, I'll add something I've mentioned several times on the show when the theme of and the topic of intuition comes up. Sometimes people will tell you that your intuition will never be wrong. Always trust that voice. And I think we should trust that voice. We should definitely listen to that voice and pay attention to it because it's telling us something. Definitely it's telling us what is within us. And at times, because it's tapping into that unconscious, which has in a sense a wisdom that we consciously cannot be aware of because it's a collection of much more than what we can consciously be aware of, it can be a rich source of understanding and very important in that way. But at the same time, it's not that we could always say it's going to be right or the right thing to say or what the person needs. It might be right in the sense of what I'm feeling and experiencing. But to think that it's always going to be the right thing to the other person, I don't think that's realistic. And that's okay, because again, we can make mistakes, as the Power of Mistakes chapter tells us. Um, We are still being true to ourselves, but it's also a reminder that there is no perfect way of doing things, something that's always right every time. So you can't just think that if you do something this way, you'll always get it right. I think you will live a much more enjoyable and meaningful life when you tap into that intuition and express what is there. But sometimes you might tap into something that might even be right in some way, but it might not be the right moment to share it with that person or because of the context or the setting. So it's not that we can just blurt out whatever is within us at any moment and think that that's the right thing to do or that it even will be correct for the person we're talking to. But I think it's important for us to recognize the value of what's there. It's not perfect, but it can be really something special. And unfortunately, I think the bigger problem is most people, most of the time, are completely disconnected and detached from that intuition and what is within us. And I think this book does a great job of encouraging you and and showing you some of what gets in the way of, of expressing yourself. Now, there's also parts of the book that talked about things like judgment and quality. 
So it was a very um, artistic and romantic book in that sense. But I liked that it was realistic as well. And it talked about things like practice and developing and even that limits can be uh, in a way helpful in creating your art. So there's a the power of limits as well. Um, so we have to practice. But the judgment part I thought was interesting. It's like we have these two um, different forces. One is this creative side that is trying to just create and see what's there and make new connections and try different things. But we also have to judge it as well. And we can, in a way, wear both of those or go back and forth between them as you're going. And they happen in a way at the same time. Let's say if you are an impro improvisational musician or doing improv and comedy, you see what's within you and you share it. But you also will then evaluate how a good it seems appropriate it seems the way the audience is responding if you're playing with other people whether it's music or performance or life itself but if you're performing with others you see how they're responding and that gives you some judgment or evaluation of what's going on and then you might make a, a decision again and now it goes back to the intuition of where to go next so there is this interplay it's not that we just tap into this intuition and you don't have to think anymore but at times we do want to relinquish the thinking that gets in the way of seeing what can come out by allowing ourselves to express things and then we might evaluate what comes out as well and decide what will we share or how will we share that uh, with, with others so I thought that was interesting so again this theme of intuition was was there throughout the book and how we can express that and experience that so I hope if you're listening it's something you will think about in yourself how much am I allowing myself to live my life in a way where I am responding in this way. So we talk about sometimes reacting, which can be uh, unhealthy just to react without thinking in the way we, that we act with things. But sometimes that can be better than the opposite, which is when we overly plan or we respond or we act in just rigid ways. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I have to do now. I can't do this or I can't allow myself to be this way or that way. And because of that, we think that we need to just say the thing that we think is right. But by saying what feels right in that way, we often are just saying what feels good right now, but not what really feels good to us within ourselves. We're trying to create uh, a peaceful situation or we're trying to avoid being judged in some way. So we don't want to be exposed. But I hope we can move more and more towards this way of thinking. And I think there's a few aspects of society that would have to uh, allow for this to happen or would have to change. For example, we would have to be more accepting in certain ways. Now, accepting doesn't mean that everything is good, every song is a masterpiece, every person is painting masterpieces, everything is wonderful. We still have judgment and true evaluation. I think that is important. But first, the acceptance of allowing people to be who they are, because we have to allow for that for people to then express what is there. But throughout history and throughout the world and still even wherever you're living, there are lots of ways that we tell people it's okay to be this way and definitely not okay to be a certain way. So, for example, something like sexuality and sexual orientation and gender identity, these are things that still we're definitely struggling with to allow people to just be who they are how they want to be, how they express themselves and how they feel, but people still get the message that they shouldn't be a certain way or be another way.
Um, for me, this is an important point. Often people will say, well, you're telling people to be like this or like that, or you're telling them to go against their nature. Um, I have no desire to do anything like that. And I definitely don't think we should dictate it. And that's what I'm trying to say is that we shouldn't tell people they have to be a certain way. We should give everyone the flexibility and the freedom to express themselves as they are, to tap into what is there and not think that I have to fit into a certain category that's been dictated by the outside world. When we create that type of rigidity, it interferes with the process of people seeing what is truly there and tapping into that original voice. And sadly, of course, the individual pays the price when they are not given that opportunity first to feel okay as they are and to express who they are and how they want to be. But they also miss out on getting to live their own life and themselves to the fullest. But on the other hand, society at large misses out when individuals are not given the space to express themselves fully and to share their unique abilities, their unique insights, their unique perspectives, their unique art, because they're afraid of being judged or being told they should not be this way, they should be some other way, or they have to fit this category. I always think it's interesting in the uh, Iranian culture, we are very, very strong in our notions of shame in notions of you should be this way and you definitely shouldn't be this way. It's an embarrassment to you and an embarrassment and shame to our family if you act in a certain way, um, especially even things like when you're picking a career, it's an embarrassment at times to go into the arts. The arts are not serious. They are not stable. They are not respectable in a certain way. So you're supposed to pick certain careers and stay away from other careers. And we're very big on these notions of this type of right and wrong and creating this status and hierarchy as a result of how well you fit into that right and wrong. While at the same time, some of the people that we celebrate the most, even currently, but especially throughout our history, are, for example, the amazing poets that we have in the Persian culture. We praise them and talk about them all the time, and they're parts of even holidays and celebrations to celebrate how wonderful these artists were. But imagine if your own child was one of those great poets. Do you think you would have allowed for them to express that voice? to tap into what is there within them to then express it to the world and share it with the world? Or do you think it's actually likely you would have told them, oh, that's something you can do on the side or as a hobby, but pursue something else more serious or something that's going to bring pride to our family, not something that is an embarrassment. So if you think Hafez is amazing, you might think, well, it's easy if he was my child, I would allow him to express himself. But Truthfully, I think many Persian families would not allow for that child, even if they had that voice, to even trust what was within them to express it, to trust this amazing talent and gift that they had that they could share with the world because maybe it's going to get judged. Maybe it's not going to be seen the right way. How does it make my family appear? How do I come off as a parent? And it's really a shame and heartbreaking to think that. But... And you could say, well, yeah, if I know my child is going to be that good of a poet, of course I would let them, but that's the thing about life we don't know. When we talk about trusting our own voice or uh, trusting the voices of others, that original voice within them, we don't know what the result is going to be. 
That's part of improvisation and part of art and part of life is that we can't predetermine what's going to come out. But we can be sure that if we don't let it come out, we're going to interfere with a lot of great things being expressed and experienced. And we have to thus allow and give the space and leave the space for people to express that individuality that is really who they are and allow for them to tap into that original voice. So first to yourself, I would ask, pay attention to this. How much am I stifling myself? I think everyone does it to a degree. He even touches on that, that with the end of childhood and, and going into society. And he doesn't say, oh, society is bad. It's definitely a complex type of a thing. When we childhood ends, certain things do end in how we play and live life. But first, I would ask you to look at yourself. How much of your own voice are you stifling and not allowing to be expressed? But also, if you're a parent, really think about that. How much are you interfering from your child expressing who they are? As I like to tell parents, you know, sometimes we think, well, you have a kid, you have to make them become a certain thing. Become this way, don't become that way. And to me, it's more that when you have a child, you've been given a seed and you don't know what type of plant, flower, tree that seed is going to turn into. Your job as a parent is just to nurture and cultivate that seed so that it can grow into whatever it is supposed to become to fill and meet that potential, whether it's a flower, a tall tree, a cactus, whatever it is, allow them to become themselves fully, not become what you think is the right way to be. And in the last segment, I'm going to come back to this point, looking at ourselves and how we express ourselves in our lives. So let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I was discussing the book Free Play by Stephen Nakmanovich, which is about uh, the subtitles Improvisation in Life and Art. And as I said, it's definitely for me a important book about art, of course, but about life itself. And it's not just if you are an artist that we can consider this aspect of improvisation and about finding your true voice, original voice, and expressing that to the world. Really, that's something for all of us, whatever it is that you're doing. And it definitely applies to the professional field, but also in the personal and how you relate to your loved ones and actually expressing the truth of your feelings of what you experience when you're around one another. But too often we block a lot of what we are feeling, what we're experiencing and what we might even feel for our loved ones, for lots of the fears that come up fear of rejection, fear of getting hurt, fear of looking vulnerable or weak, fear of all sorts of things, fear of actually then getting close, which then might lead to getting hurt. So for lots of reasons, we might hold back from expressing that in our relationships. And also when it comes to our professional, I I alluded to this when I was talking about how we might hold individuals back, but now I want us to think about ourselves, each person, including myself, who's uh, I'm talking to you now, but I'm also listening to this as well in in how we are in the, when we express ourselves or we don't express ourselves. So often when you hear inspirational talks about you, you deserve to express your true self, you deserve to do something you love and something you're passionate about to be good at it and to feel good about it. And I totally agree with that. We do, I think each of us deserve that, deserve in the sense that uh, we can create it. And I think it's what's best for us to find what we're passionate about and not just find what you're passionate about, but 
do the work that it takes in the book. He talks about practice and the spirit that we want to bring to our practice, but you want to develop your skills, your abilities, and whatever it is that you are doing, and then to express that fully to the world. And so usually we focus on this side of the equation that, yes, I deserve this. I can do this and I deserve to have the fruits of those labors of what I do and to enjoy what I'm doing and all of that good stuff. And maybe this is what I've heard a lot, too, in America with individualistic type of thinking where it's really about me usually is what people are thinking about. So the talks tend to be geared this way. And to me, that's one half or one side of the equation. And in some ways, maybe the less meaningful one compared to the other side, which is actually, it's not just that you deserve it, but that actually it's your responsibility to the world to do this. So it's not just because it's going to feel good to you, but it's actually because the world deserves and, and it's your responsibility to share with the world the gifts that you do have. So we can think of a uh, maybe a simplified way of, of, of looking at this. If you are a scientist and we had, let's say, scientists that were working on the vaccine. I don't want to get into the, the notion of the vaccine and how people feel about it. But I will say, let's say it, it saves lives, which I think definitely it has. And we are seeing that it's doing that. So if you were a scientist and you thought, okay, should I work hard and, and tap into my abilities and gifts in creating this vaccine? Of course, no one person did it. It's based on years of research and then a collective effort, but let's just try to simplify it if we can, that someone themselves at least can contribute to this. Should I contribute to this or not? Or how much should I contribute to it? So of course we can say, yeah, for that individual, he or she deserves that to to be a part of this, to uh, utilize their skills and abilities, and even to sharpen their skills and abilities, and then to be a part of this because it'll feel so good. Uh, they might even make money from it. They might get attention from it. They will feel very good that they've saved lives. And so we can think of that side. But what about the other side, that if they don't do it, we can look at it as that lives are lost as a result. If this individual does not do what they can, the hard work that it takes to become good at this and then to uh, do the work, then lives will be lost either by it never happening or by the delays that would happen because they're not doing the work and contributing their effort into this process. So it's not just that this person deserves it themselves as an individual, but we can say they owe it to the world. It's their responsibility to the world and to others to do their hard work, to, to hone their skills, to put in that effort, to express that true self that even can be creative in science. Creativity is definitely part of the process as well, to then help other people and to literally save lives. If you could save lives and you didn't do it, I think most of us would consider that an immoral thing to do. If I walk by a lake and I see a young boy is drowning and I just keep walking, I can't say, well, no, I just didn't do anything, so nothing's wrong. You would say, by my inaction, I would even possibly be guilty of a crime for not saving that life, and most people would consider me responsible for not saving that life. So on the other side, we have things that we can contribute, but that if you hold those things back, I think we can keep that same mindset, or it's the same type of a principle that we are hurting people or not helping people that we can help and is our responsibility to do that. So this can at times inspire us even more 
because yes, we're very individualistic and we can think about ourselves. I think um, some of that is natural, but it also gets in the way of, of expressing what we really can express. But it can also be inspirational when we think of other people. So for example, a parent, if they know that if they do something, it'll prevent the pain of their child, especially if they have a very young child, they will almost do it gladly. And they won't seem like a difficult choice to make and a difficult thing for them to do because of their care for their loved one, for their baby that they feel responsible for. So similarly, sometimes when it's just about us, that isn't inspiration enough to push us into the discomfort that might come from doing whatever it is that we're talking about. And we might take the easy way out or we might not really push ourselves to do whatever it is that we can. So in this way, I think it'd be important to think of whatever it is that you do. And it's not just one thing, and it doesn't have to just be your professional life, but that might be a a big area where you could contribute to others. And think of, it's not just for me that I should get good at this and and do it and express myself fully. It's that I owe it to the others that we will be helped by what I can do. And if I don't do it, that they won't receive something that I could give them. I have this gift and having this gift and expressing it, it's not just about me, but it's about those that will receive it, receive it and the way their lives will be improved, saved, whatever it might be. And yes, I gave in a way a simplified and what might seem like an extreme example that if you're helping to create a vaccine that will directly save lives immediately or will prevent people getting very sick and prevent them from dying. I get that that can seem extreme, but all of us in whatever it is that you're doing have certain gifts that you can express and share that will make at least people's lives better, easier, more pleasurable, Um, whatever it might be. There's some way that what you have can contribute to others. And if there isn't, that could be also something to think about the work that you're doing. If it's not contributing to the world in some way, that people are benefiting, you might want to consider what you're doing because more than likely it won't be very fulfilling. We tend to feel a sense of fulfillment and meaning in our work when we see that it has a positive impact on others and on the world. That's what will make it feel good. But if it doesn't have that, even if we get good at it or if we somehow become successful at it, whatever that means, you likely won't feel very fulfilled or feel that it is meaningful in the long term. So let that be your inspiration and your motivation. I don't just owe it to myself. The world deserves this. And sometimes it will require us to think about what we're doing and think if it really is expressing all of our abilities and expressing that true voice. By voice, it doesn't just mean speaking something, but really expressing the talents, the gifts, the originality within us to the fullest degree. And even myself, I've been considering this and contemplating this, that I enjoy what I do in my different aspects of my work, but I do feel like there's more that I can contribute or there is more to what I'm doing um, than I've done so far. And I'm not even sure exactly what that will look like, but I want to remain open to seeing what else I could do to contribute to the world in a different way or to express gifts or talents that I might have or I maybe have not even tapped into. And I think one of the ways that we can do this um, is by trying new things, by taking classes or trying a new uh, 
a type of art or expression that you've never done before. And I'll share this just to um, give you an example of something I've done recently. I just started taking a course on stand-up comedy um, because of the pandemic. It's online, and it's not even that I'm sure I'd want to go into stand-up comedy, but I thought it would be a good way of tapping into some creativity or aspects of myself that I maybe have not tapped into enough to cultivate them, to learn from them, to learn about myself in doing them. As I talked about in last week's show, we can often get bored with ourselves just like we get bored with our partners, not because we're boring, but actually because, or that our partners are boring, but that we are fooling ourselves into thinking we fully know our partner or we fully know ourselves and that there are no more aspects to learn about who we are or who they are. We prefer the comfort zone of thinking, okay, I have it all figured out. I have myself figured out. I know what I'm going to do rather than recognizing that, you know, I don't know what I would do in a certain situation if I haven't been there. I don't know if I would enjoy doing something I haven't done before. I don't know if I would be good at something I haven't tried before. And I have to take the risk of allowing myself to fail and to make mistakes and and to get it wrong, but to try something new and try something different. So I had thought for some time about this, that I think there's aspects of create my own creativity that I haven't been expressing that come out in some parts of my life, but not in a fundamental way that I think will be important. So I thought this would be the uh, a step in that direction of taking a stand-up comedy class. And I say this not that you should go and take one. You could. That might be the next step or a step for you. But to think about things you can try for yourself of expressing yourself in a different way and seeing what is there. And I might add, uh, you know, um, a dear friend was someone who encouraged me in this direction who I appreciate. And for now, I won't say the friend uh, friend's name. Maybe later on I would, but of recognizing parts of myself that I had not yet tapped into or might not be aware of. And so um, it was actually interesting timing. My brother recommended this book, Free Play, by Stephen Nakmanovich. And so for me, it was, I think, a very interesting book, no matter what, but even more interesting because of some of the things I've been thinking about within myself, about tapping into that creativity more. And I hope all of you listening will think the same thing about how can I tap more into the creativity that resides within me, aspects of myself that I have not expressed yet. And not only that in the sense of art, but in your life as well. The people around you are yearning to know you better, to be closer to you in the genuine sense, because you have to first show them yourself, express yourself and who you are on a deeper level, a more genuine, authentic level for them to connect with you and to you in a deeper way. And keep in mind that it's not just for you in this sense It could be for the people around you in your relationships, but then also in what you can contribute to the world. You don't just owe yourself. It's our responsibility to develop our gifts and our talents and then to give them away, share them with the world for the betterment of all uh, that we can touch with our gifts. So that brings us to the end of tonight's show. As always, a big thank you to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Lakwi. Have a wonderful night. (music) 